Hey guys, it's Abdul for the good folks over at Leon Tailoring, 809 North Delaware in downtown Apples. I've been talking about Leon Tailoring for nearly 20 years now. That's right, 20 years I've been talking about the good folks at Leon Tailoring. Whether it's Larry, Norm, Kim, Judy, whether it's their ready-made items, whether it's their custom-made items, or whether it's their tailor-made items, you can trust Leon Tailoring. Leon Tailoring, they've been great folks. They've been around for more than 100 years and some change. I've only been talking about them for 20, but trust me, head over to Leon Tailoring and they'll take care of you, just like they've taken care of me for the past two decades. Leon Tailoring, 809 North Delaware in downtown town indianapolis well it's been a busy uh summer so far here in the state of indiana and usually summer is some of those lazy days of summer but not so much uh here in indiana uh state surpluses presidential candidates shopping up showing up in town and also uh new candidates running for governor and all the other uh interesting political stuff and so joining us on the news line is old friend of the program andy downs uh Ch- director emeritus for the mike down center in indiana politics at purdue university fort wayne so andy my friend always good to chat with you how you doing how you doing so far this summer I am doing all right. Thanks for having me on. I'm looking forward to talking about 2024 in the middle of 23. Exactly. Uh, well, let's go ahead and get started. Uh, one of the latest news items to pop up uh, recently was the state announces uh, sort of closeout fiscal numbers, uh, $3 billion in the bank. That's after uh, including an extra billion dollars for uh, retired teacher pension funds and a billion dollars in automatic taxpayer refunds. Uh, your thoughts? Better to have money than not have money. That's my first thought. My second thought is there are going to be some people who say, give me my money back. But we do need to remember, keep this sort of in in context. The state has a very, very large budget. This is really not out of line with what would be sort of fiscally responsible to have in reserve just in case. Uh, But it's a large enough amount of money that there should be some conversations about it. Uh, it's interesting because uh, the, the the fiscal experts say the state should keep uh, anywhere from 10 to 15 percent of reserves uh, in its budget. Indiana's got about uh, a little bit over 16 percent of some change. Uh, one of the other things, too, uh, that the recent news conference uh, that the state comptroller and uh, Holcomb budget officials said was, hey, look, uh, we are cutting taxes. We cut the income tax. We spent up the income tax cuts. So who's just going to keep more of their money? We cut the utility taxes. At the same time, we're paying more money uh, for pensions and also uh, for one-time capital improvements. So we are being, quote, unquote, fiscally responsible with the taxpayers' money. Yeah, we are. And and I get why people would say, hey, that's, you know, we have more than the, than the recommendation. But we need to remember the recommendation was back in pre-pandemic. Uh, we are still not necessarily in an economy that seems to be functioning the way a lot of economists think economies should go. So to have a little bit more is not necessarily a bad thing. It's, it, it's uh, something that will serve us well if the economy doesn't rebound more than it has and or if it goes into the in the negative direction and for that matter if something else pops up so perhaps it's that percentage that should be reviewed at some point uh, in addition to uh, just the regular discussion about taxes, et cetera. Uh, obviously, uh, Indiana, like the rest of the country, is coming back from the pandemic. Uh, there was talk about a recession. Uh, it hasn't necessarily happened yet, and some folks still don't think it may happen um, at all. Uh, but how would you rate Indiana sort of financially right now? Uh, clearly, the reserves are a good thing. Uh, the fact that we never dipped quite as far as people expected at just about any point in the last few years, that's a positive for us as well. I do think that uh, the conventional guesses about what will happen with the economy are maybe not the best ways to figure that out right now. And that's not to be critical of economists, but let's face it, the pandemic is not something that comes, it was not something that came along uh, every year or so. The the recession and the things that the Fed and other national organizations have tried to do, uh, both the United States and internationally, to try and get the economy back 
where they want it, haven't worked the way they thought they would. So there's a lot, you know, economics is is a bit of a guess game. And we have to remember that it's a it's a it's a some say art instead of a science, but it's certainly a social science, which means it's going to be wrong occasionally. They really haven't had to deal with this set of circumstances before. So to have a little more money back, not a bad thing. Uh, I think we're actually in a pretty good situation right now. Obviously, Bob, Andy, there's the economic argument. There's the government argument. But uh, can lawmakers win the quote unquote political argument? <laughs> well, you know, uh, some would argue they never can. And that's why I said some people are going to say, give me my money back, which is very understandable. There is a long-held belief that I know how to spend my money better than the government knows how to spend my money. That's held by a lot of people, and I get why people would want some of that back. But if the state's going to be serious about looking into ways to cut taxes, if not this next session, then the next the session after that, they also have to be ready for some sort of a transition. Because whenever you talk about shifting the tax burden, whether that's by increasing a tax and or decreasing tax, uh, a tax, there's going to be a you know a, a transition that has to happen in there. So you got to have the money available to cover those sorts of things. These are reserves. This is not like some money that, uh, that, that didn't come in from regular taxation. This is money that came in through the existing tax system. And to use it judiciously to develop a tax system that, that legislators think will work going forward, that's not a bad thing for them to do. The problem is the political question, as you just pointed out. Can they win that? And I think we both know there are enough safe seats in the House and the Senate in Indiana that they probably can still win that. Our guest in the room today is our good friend Andy Downs of the Mike Downs Center for Indiana Politics at Purdue University, Fort Wayne, Director Emeritus. And so we're just getting caught up on Indiana's political scene these days, what's been going on. Uh, Andy, also recently, uh, Indiana uh, had a visit, uh, a second presidential visit. Uh, Mike Pence was here earlier this year, but also Ron DeSantis uh, here in central Indiana uh, raising money uh, and raising some eyebrows. Uh, When you come to Indiana as a presidential candidate, of course, your main purpose for coming here typically is to raise money. I don't think anybody should be shocked when a presidential candidate stops in Indiana, whether that's the year before an election or the year of an election. Indiana is not usually a state that's in question come November. So when a Democratic candidate comes into town, you know it's probably just to raise some money. On the Republican side, if there's going to be a contested primary, Remember, Indiana's primary still doesn't come until May of 24, which means in most cases the nominee is known by the time they get here. So even when Republicans are coming into town, yeah, they're trying to build up a little base of support just in case they have to campaign here in May. Uh, But the reality is they're here to get money. Now, it's interesting, too, because, uh, like I said, you know, Mike Pence was governor here, but also a uh, congressman here, uh, vice president. Uh, what does it say uh, when someone like a Ron DeSantis or, or Donald Trump, for that matter, uh, shows up on Mike Pence's backyard? Well, there is something to be said for I'm going into your yard, I'm going into your house, and I'm going to, some would say, disrespect you or demonstrate that you're not as strong there as you might think. But, and this is going to sound ridiculous because of the dollars that we talk about here, in virtually every state, a significant presidential candidate can walk in and raise six figures, if not more, and that's not chump change. So if, if you can go into somebody's backyard, get to snub them a little bit by being in their backyard and walk out with six figures, why not do it? Especially if maybe you're going to be raising money someplace else nearby or doing an event someplace else nearby. So, yeah, there's a little bit of politicking in there, but I still come back to it's about the money. 
And it's interesting, too, you bring that up because uh, obviously uh, Donald Trump is sort of the 800-pound gorilla uh, in the room. Vice, Mike, Mike Pence was his vice president. And so it just kind of sort of makes me wonder, like, okay, what's Pence thinking? What's Trump thinking? And for that matter, what's DeSantis thinking right now? Well, right now they're all thinking about a few things that uh, they wish they didn't have to, and some of that are legal issues for the former president and possibly legal issues for some other folks. They're thinking about litigation. For example, Ron DeSantis as governor is involved in some litigation in the state that is not directly targeting him, but it's his administration. So that's something that they got to be thinking about. They also, if you're not Donald Trump, have to be thinking about how do I start to consolidate my 35, my 40 percent so that I can be a serious contender against Donald Trump in some states. And I think it was DeSantis who just got quoted uh, in the last week or so talking about how on the national level he might not be polling all that well compared to the president. But he's pointing out that in the early states, he's polling pretty well and his polling is improving. And that's the part that we often forget. People pay attention to all those national polls. They don't matter so much because you got to be able to do well in Iowa, New Hampshire, and South Carolina. Uh, If you can do well there, then you can begin to move on from there. Donald Trump, for example, did not win Iowa, but he did well and was able to roll from there because he had that nice third of the vote that he's always managed to have a grip on. That's what these candidates have to be thinking about. Do they need people to drop out of the race? Do they do they need uh, somebody to drop out and throw their support behind them? How do they get to that level that is on par with President Trump that suddenly makes them look like the legitimate person? Hey, guys, it is Abdul for the good folks over at Leon Tailoring, 809 North Delaware, downtown Indianapolis. Congratulations for you folks for that's when graduating, either from high school or from college or grad school or law school or medical school. Well, you know what? They'll be looking for a job soon. If they're looking for a job, they got to look the part. So swing on by Leon Tailoring. they got a great, great line of clothing for your younger folks. And not necessarily something tailor-made, but also something custom-made. A wide variety of shirts, blouses, skirts, towels, you name it. Not towels, exactly. But you know what I'm talking about. So swing on by Leon Tailoring. They'll take care of you. Leon Tailoring, 809 North Delaware, downtown Indianapolis. Our guest on the program today is our good friend Andy Downs, Director Emeritus of the Mike Downs Center for Indiana Politics at Purdue University, Fort Wayne. Just getting us caught up on some of the latest uh, goings-on, politically speaking, uh, here in the state of Indiana. Uh, Mike, uh, the last time we chatted, uh, there are only three people. Uh, Andy, the last time we chatted, only three people in the governor's race. Now there are four people uh, on the Republican side. Uh, Curtis Hill, uh, former Attorney General, Elkhart uh, County Prosecutor, uh, had some legal issues. Speaking of litigation, uh, himself, uh, when he was last in office, uh, he announced recently that he's going to run for governor. Uh, it, it, here it is, July 2023. What does it all mean? <laughs> I think there might be some people would say there are four and a half candidates because Michael Beckwith saying I'm running for lieutenant governor could theoretically play a little bit of a role in who gets the, the, the nomination for governor. But let's stick with the four there. I think in the four, the, the three, Braun, Crouch and Doden, they each had raised millions of dollars last year. So they're sitting in a position where name recognition, really Eric Doden's problem, is something that can be overcome because of the dollars that are available. And then being able to differentiate themselves from each other, they have the money to do that as well. Curtis Hill really sort of throws a monkey wrench into what I think the other three had been thinking. And I think that for a number of reasons. First of all, Curtis Hill might be able to, let's say, ignite 
people against Suzanne Crouch, because as we all know, Holcomb was one of the individuals who was vocal about Curtis Hill and his challenges as attorney general. So there could be a bit of a grudge match going on there. Uh, Mike Braun could be concerned because in some respects, Hill and Braun are going to be going after some of the same voters. And Eric Doden's got to be thinking, well, now I have to spend even more money to try and get my name recognition out there because there, there is another name that people are going to have to remember. Uh, and, you know, it was bad enough when I was trying to build up name recognition against two known people. Now I got to do it against three known people. And as you often have pointed out, Curtis Hill was the top vote getter in 2016. Anybody who writes him off because of his problems as attorney general, I think is making a pretty big mistake. He was a popular guy. He was an up and coming uh, uh, office holder at the state level knows how to run campaigns. He's serious. We have a four-way race now, and you're only going to need, if it's truly evenly divided, 25% plus one of the vote to win. Um, now, here's my here's my question, my friend. I've been uh, chatting about this whenever I go on, the, go on the, 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 the talking head circuit. I'd love to get your opinion on this. I would argue that the more people who get in the race for governor, technically the better it is for Suzanne Crouch, and, and here's why. Uh, and in the Republican primary, I looked at sort of the last two real sort of competitive Republican statewide primaries, you had uh, Dan Coats back in 2010, Dick Luger back in 2012. Both of them got about 40, 42% of the vote, give or take. Dan Coats won because there are so many people divvying up that anti-Coats vote, and Dick Luger lost because all the Republicans consolidated around Richard Rodock. Could you see a situation like that happening with Suzanne Crouch? The, granted, she's sort of tied to the governor in the sense that because of the you know, pandemic and some other things, but the more people who get in, the better it is for her because she's sitting around that 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 40 45 percent of the republican primary voters yeah i i actually think it's better for all of them she may be the one who stands to gain the most i'm not sure you know if if as a candidate you already know you're sitting at 38 40 42 percent of of the vote going your way you're in a really good position and if you can push that up to 45% in a three-way race or four-way race, you're more than likely going to win. Uh, but if you're not there yet, if you're not in that mid-30s, if instead maybe that's a soft number and your real number is maybe 28 29%, then you, you got a whole different set of calculations that have to go on here. When you start thinking about the, the lane of voters or the category of voters that people can lock up and say, okay, this is mine, that's my 25%. How do I get to a plurality that gets me a victory? The more candidates, the smaller that has to be. Uh, I do think that because Suzanne Crouch is really sort of viewed as establishment, she's probably looking at, you know, 38, 40, 42% of the vote. But in some respects, Mike Braun kind of establishment as well. Uh, it's not like he's really out far uh, outside the, the party. And Curtis Hill clearly has decided he's part of what he has to run against with mentioning, you know, Washington, D.C., whatever it was, three or four times in the statement that he sent out, which is a proxy for naming Mike Braun. In some respects, you got two establishment candidates there in Braun and Crouch. And actually, my friend, it may, actually maybe three establishment candidates because there's still some talk that Brad Chambers, the current head of the Indiana, Indiana Economic Development Commission, might get in the race as well. And if he did, you got to figure that Eric Doden's not going to like that because Doden's got to be thinking, oh, I get to talk economic development because that was my thing. Now, if somebody else walks in with those that same set of credentials, he's got to be thinking, come on, I'm already fighting a, an uphill battle in terms of name recognition. Now I got somebody I got to differentiate myself from in terms of my, my resume. 
Exactly. Our guest on the program today is our good friend Andy Downs of the Mike Downs Center for Indiana Politics at Purdue University, Fort Wayne, Director Emeritus. Just getting caught up uh, on Indiana's uh, political scene. Uh, I want to talk about, uh, believe it or not, the lieutenant governor's race. Uh, believe it or not, as I tell people, the lieutenant governor, unlike other places where the governor picks a candidate, the lieutenant governor is actually picked by convention delegates. Uh, you've got Micah Beckwith, uh, who's announced he's running for lieutenant governor, has already started talking to delegates. Also, there's some discussion uh, that Greg Pence may run for lieutenant governor as uh, Suzanne Crouch's sort of running mate. Um, what do you, what do you, could the lieutenant governor be, be sort of the swing decider uh, in the governor's race? I think so when you're talking about four real candidates and throw in a fifth. What the heck? You know, if you get up to five, absolutely. Somebody with a base of voters, uh, even if it's only, say, 5% uh, of the electorate, might be able to throw it. Now, Beckwith went to great lengths to say, I love everybody. I'm not picking anybody yet. But he could. Same could be true for Pence, could be true for anybody who already starts with some name recognition. And if 25% is enough to win the electorate, man, yeah, a, a legitimate uh, lieutenant governor candidate who hopes to win at the convention certainly could uh, do that. But what's their what's their value added? So let's take Beckwith for a second. Clearly, social conservative uh, religious folks are going to be saying, he, that, you know, that's his natural base. Who could that base benefit? And some people are going to say, well, Hill maybe already has part of that or Braun maybe already has part of that, at least from a social conservative standpoint. Uh, so if Beckwith was to say, I'm throwing my support behind Hill, does that really, you know, materialize as beneficial to Hill? Not necessarily so, other than that you now suddenly have somebody else who's out there campaigning for you and another endorsement. Oh, friend, uh, we've got just a couple of minutes left here. Before I wrap here, I want to uh, switch sides to the Democrats and Libertarians. Uh, Jennifer McCormick, uh, declared candidate uh, for governor on the Democratic side. Uh, Don Rainwater about to give it another uh, run again. Uh do Democrats have a shot at actually uh, doing this uh, because of some of the, the 2024-related uh, type issues? Could you see a Democrat actually uh, winning the governor's race? Uh, as I always tell you, every race is winnable. The question is how winnable. When you think about what that Republican primary could become in terms of beating each other up, people may be running to further extremes in order to secure some small fact, fact, uh, fraction of the uh, Republican electorate, you know, that could force them out so far to the right that maybe they can't come back far enough to pick up that middle again, but they needed to do it in order to get that that fraction that put them over the top. You know, it, it, uh, it's possible. I wouldn't bet large money on it right now. Uh, and we fortunately will have a couple of indicators between now and even 24 that help us figure out how legitimate the shot is. If if she can end the year, McCormick can end the year comfortably into six figures of fundraising, uh, more likely seven figures of fundraising, then I think that she will have demonstrated some legitimacy that will get some outside attention. The problem for her is outside money went into Evan Bayh's campaign and John Gregg's campaign and um, Christina Hale's campaign. You know, the, the outside money has flowed in. And quite often, the margin wasn't really close that much. So money alone is not going to be the indicator, but that will be one of them. And if she's able to begin riling people up, say, the way Glenda Ritz did when she won superintendent of public instruction, then maybe early in 24, people will say that's a race worth watching. Uh, also, depending on who the Republican nominee is, 
Donald Rainwater did all right last time he ran for office, and a lot of people thought this is it. Finally, libertarians are going to get some traction. That clearly didn't pan out for them last year. Uh, but if the Republicans nominate somebody who is more closely aligned with libertarian point of view, but maybe folks don't like that individual for one reason or another, and they decide to vote for Rainwater, and Rainwater manages to get to that 13, 14, 15 percent, then, you know, better chance for the D's. But still, uh, that's not where I would put my largest bet if I were a betting man. All right. Well, like I said, lots of stuff we talked about. We covered uh, this time. We'll cover some more again next time around. Our guest on the program our guest on the program today has been our good friend Andy Downs of the Mike Downs Center for Indiana Politics at Purdue University, Fort Wayne Director Emeritus. Andy, my friend, always good to chat with you. We'll chat with you again in the fall. Sounds good. This podcast was produced and edited by Chris Spangle and Leaders and Legends, LLC. If you're interested in starting a podcast or taking yours to the next level, please contact us at leadersandlegends.net.